Welcome to the party, pal. The mind-bending and spooky film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. I am one of your hosts, Michael Shields, here with our other co-host, Mitch Lucas. Mitch, what's going on? Not much. Ready to talk horror, you know? This, uh, this is this is kind of personal to me. This, this, you know, theme we've chosen here. This, this era of horror films. It's, it's really something I was deeply into, and that's 80s horror films, what we're going to talk about. Uh, it was a truly game-changing and evolving time period for the genre, as well beyond my personal uh, affinity for it. It, it was... It, you see it described to many people as kind of the best decade for horror films, and something that that, that makes a great deal of sense to me, but uh, it's spooky season, and I, I keep seeing that term around. That's why I'm overusing it. Um, but I'm thrilled to talk about some some terrifying, it's really game-changing films that uh, occurred in the 80s. Um, was it something that was personal to you back in, in that time period? It absolutely was. I remember, I mean, I think The Shining started the 80s. Uh, and that, to this day, is probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. But really, you know... The 80s were the first time I ever saw a horror film. And I, my my uncle took all, all of my cousins to see Friday the 13th Part 3. And that was probably around 83, maybe. And that was, I would say that would be the first horror film I ever saw in a theater. Um, I've obviously gone back and seen the first three uh, to that point. But that that's definitely a seminal moment for me of being just terrified. Yeah, it's... um. It's amazing because, you know, I, I was born in 78 and just kind of coming up through these 80s, I was catching glimpses. I had older siblings and I was catching glimpses of what was going on. And I think some of my affinity towards it was I always wanted that. It was kind of like something that was kept from me because of my age. And I would catch sneak peeks and I would, you know, later later in the 80s, I was, I was getting a hold of these things probably before I should have. Um, and we'll talk about how some of them were even catered to us. Um, uh, Gremlins is one, for example. It was something that it's funny watching them now and, and the, the Krugers and, and, you know, Friday the 13th and the, the Gate or whatever. Just seeing kind of in Poltergeist even just how, you know, it's weird seeing it with these new eyes because they, they were terrifying to me. They were truly, truly terrifying. And in, in this way that was not just like kind of the torture porn or something. Some of the more aggressive horror films we're seeing these days. There was this, 
this fun thing occurring with it. I mean, the, the appeal to me was beyond just being terrified. What was the appeal to the you? The appeal to me, I de- Poltergeist definitely stuck out when you mentioned that one. Um, that was just the feeling of something, something in a very normal place could be scary. You know, something in your home, like your, your kitchen table, could all of, all of a sudden be terrifying. Um, I think that was a very new feeling to me. And, you know, the way that, the, the way that film is, is sort of designed is that it looks exactly like a suburban... I mean, it's a suburban home, and it's exactly like where I grew up in many ways in terms of what the house looked like. And, mm-hmm. and that was the first time I think I ever thought about that that your home you, you don't have to go to a haunted house or you don't have to go to the woods for something for the for the fear to happen it can yeah. happen right in your your own you know home or your right in your neighborhood and that that was sort of an early that was something that shocked me i think that's a big mark of what these many of these 80s horror films did is they brought it into your world and you know, definitely the suburban landscape was a big part of it. We saw that in Nightmare on Elm Street. We see it in uh, Poltergeist. We see it in The Gate. We see it in a lot of other films. Uh, they even brought you into, you know, the thought of Friday the 13th. So they were camping or at a camp or just like this. It wasn't, uh, I mean, places that you weren't going. It was It was this weird, relatable thing. It was, it was... It was something you can see happen happening to you, which is which is kind of what makes it terrifying. I mean, really, when you think about the seventies, it was about going somewhere that you shouldn't be in a certain way. Uh-huh. Whether you're you're lost on the road and you happen upon the worst house in the world to like find yourself stranded in, or uh, you know you go to like an eerie cottage uh, in upstate New York that all ends up being haunted. And then in the 80s, yeah, like you're saying, it, it's summer camp. They're taking things that are familiar to you, things that are, you're comfortable with, and they're showing you ways that, that the fear can be right underneath you. And we talk about, we're t- going to talk about the gate later, and that's certainly another one. Yep. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about horror movies, obviously. I've been watching a lot, and I know you have, getting ready uh, for this discussion. Um, it's wild how, you know... There's so many different ways that storytellers and directors have kind of approached it. And, you know, there's... All right, so I kind of did this, and and you can tell me if I blew it or whatnot, but it was just... I was kind of, like, kind of doing, like, a... a, um, You know, what's that? It's always sunny in uh, Philadelphia where the guy's by the chart with all the lines to it. You got Charlie, you know, piecing together the whole thing. I was trying to piece together the whole horror genre going into this, and... I kind of felt like there was four main horror areas. And that's what we, we got killers, um, kind of the slasher films. We got monsters. We got paranormal and psychological horror. But uh, what it's really is crazy is you can really go beneath these, you know, four what I called the main horror areas and find all these subgroups. And so there was a couple that I think really stood out in the 80s. And so one of those is, and that's under the killers, of course, and that's the classic slasher films. And I think that all kind of stems from Halloween. But, I mean, we're talking, we, that was 1978. So it's, I feel like that's still going to come up a whole bunch. Um, 
And then there's Friday the 13th, which kicked off the 80s um, in 1980, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Those are those were, you know, they always feature a lot of um, uh, gruesome murders and you know a lot of teenagers. And it, teenagers are obviously their favorite prey um, in those films. Um, and then so you have classic slasher, and then another one that was big in the 80s, and I'm talking about sub subgenres. It was small creatures. And so I can think of Gremlins in 1984. Um, Ghoulies. Do you remember Ghoulies? Yeah, I don't remember much about that one, but yeah, I <laughs> no, remember me it. neither. I remember, I remember picking it up um, at, at, at the uh, video store and looking at it in the first time, and I'm like, I need to see this. That was 85. Critters, it was 86. Trolls, uh, it was earlier. That was early 80s. I don't remember when. Do you feel like Gremlins started that? I, well, it, it, the only one that I know is before that is Trolls. I think that definitely was the game changer there. Um that was the one where it's like, you know, this works. The people, uh, you know, they found the appeal in it. Because um, these are the only ones that are like kind of like the small creature horror films at that time. And, and you know, I, I think, I actually think it stopped because Ghoulies and Critters did not take off. And it was just like it, Gremlins kind of created a mold and broke it at the same time. What about the Leprechaun? Was that the 80s? Yeah, I, it's I, it's 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 definitely well. I mean, which one? I think they definitely. I think it premiered in the '80s and it was kind of ran through. There's all there's a whole bunch of those, and that definitely fits that mold for sure. And then in the '80s, another main subgroup. Um, I'd say I'm nailing uh, the slasher and small creatures, and then this are the three main subgroups, and that's sci-fi and monsters, um, defined by the thing. That was 1982. Aliens, 1986. We're going to go there. Uh, and uh, obviously, we're going to go for all these three are the big. And then Fly, uh, The Fly, pardon me, 1986. They, they, they are more sci-fi than horror often. But but these are horror films. They also, um, I'm a occasional screenwriter, and I have read this book that a lot of screenwriters read called Save the Cat. And it breaks a lot of films down into diff- uh-huh. into very sort of easy to understand um, labels and categories. And all of the horror films they talk about being categorized by like monster in a box. So I would consider all three of those genres to be there's a monster uh. monster in a room. I'm sorry, I said monster in a box. Monster in a room. <laughs> There's yeah, a there's a room, room yep. there's a monster in it and you're hiding from it. And so you're going to get that with Alien, you're going to get it with anything that that you're anytime something's loose, you're trying to you're trying to get away from it or you're trying to catch it. I think it sort of has the same essence and the same, you know, you're going to get the same scares out of it. Maybe to lesser degrees of success based on what the fear is, but I I think they all they all hone around something be either chasing you or you chasing that and hoping it doesn't catch you in the process. Absolutely. The terrors in the dark that, 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 that are there, or you think they're there. Uh, absolutely. I, I like that. You brought that into even a tighter box than I had. It, it, it that would have made things easier. Um, and then just, there was, uh, four, um, three others I'm thinking of. There was, so the, you know, there's obviously ghosts and spirits and that is defined almost solely, 
in the eighties by Poltergeist. I mean, there's others, but I that's just that's just the defining one and we're gonna dig into Poltergeist for sure. There's Teen Horror, which is um like Night of the Demons, Fright Night. That's a that was that's a that's from Fright that's Night, yeah. Nineteen eighty five. That's that was a big one. And then there's um Body Horror, which is kind of uh it's based on body transformations and this is where the fly fits into the sci fi and monsters one and also the body horror one, which is the Fly is such a seminal film um, in a lot of ways, but uh, yeah, I just—it was so interesting to me to really dissect and look at all these different, and I—I I just picked ones that were big in this time period because there's so many that fit into the psychological horror and all those subgroups and the paranormal those subgroups that which are big right now, but I mean, in in, in this era. Um, Killers and monsters from my main groups were, were, were really, really, really big. It's interesting to me how some of them, they utilize all the same aspects, but some of them, they're great movies, but they don't necessarily scare you. They're like The Fly isn't a movie that I would be afraid of. It's just an interesting yeah. movie, yet it does fall into horror for me. Um, and that's the first time I ever saw yeah. Jeff Goldblum, I think. I think that was my introduction to him as a kid. I think so for me. That was 100% my introduction to the great Jeff Goldblum. And you're right, too. That that wasn't terrifying and, like, it it was more fascinating. And you know what is interesting? And I I do want to eventually talk about the great directors uh, of the era and kind of what they were saying. But I thought uh, The Fly was deep in a lot of ways. Speaking to, um, you know, and you see dissections of it, you know, currently still where they're talking about, it was kind of, there was commentary on aging and um, also disease. And like kind of, there was, and and there was, there's a lot of talk of, of, and some of it was like some pretty severe criticism because it was during, um, you know, the AIDS era where it was, AIDS was really bad. And just a lot of people kind of drew parallels there, but there was a lot going on that was rather, rather deep. And, it was, you know, while it wasn't the scariest film, it was definitely creepy. Uh, I feel yeah. like it also released the cloning, which in the mid-90s became a really huge topic. And I feel like this has yeah. a sort of beware a of point. like science aspect to it. And definitely, I don't know, it feels like a, a great cloning type movie where something goes wrong and, you know, everything goes haywire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it felt ahead of its time. It truly, truly felt ahead of its time. Um just generally speaking, I just it it really felt like an exciting time for filmmakers. the The creativity you were finding in these films was was off the chart. It, it felt like these directors and storytellers and writers and makeup artists, everyone was allowed to try new things. It was it was kind of like it felt like uncharted seas they were sailing into and they were doing almost whatever the fuck they wanted. I mean, you think about the evil dead films and everything. I just think it would be such an exciting time to be, you know, that's your genre. That's what you're into. And, and, you know, it also speaks to the era. I mean, we're talking 1980s and like excess was such a big thing and they went all in. Yeah. And I also think the horror genre has always been, in its heart, a low-budget type of genre where people are yep. using whatever is available to them. Even when they have a budget, I feel like there's a low-budget aesthetic to because you're doing something that's <laughs> never been tried before. So, you know, yeah. if you think about 
um, movies that that came out like Friday the Thirteenth was definitely a low budget film. It, you know, they're they're mm. it's definitely trying to make something with with creatures and makeup and effects. And those people are like the pioneers for everything else. You know, the things they're figuring out in horror films became commonplace in in other genres. And you know, the people who were working on Star Wars were then working on horror films and it's just carrying a torch of like having a vision for great fantasy and trying or whether it be fantasy or gore and trying to you know it's like a renegade mentality and the 80s definitely saw you know you see it all in the 60s 70s and 80s um there's there's invention in horror in all three decades you know yeah no, I really like that crossover you just mentioned. I'd like to mention one person. Uh, um, his name is Chris Wallace, W-A-L-A-S. Uh, he was responsible for The Fly, um, you know, all, all, all the makeup, which was incredible. And he actually was kind of rewarded for his work there with uh, The Fly, too. He was able to direct that. But he, um, he helped, and he wasn't one of the only people, but he helped in... The scene where the Nazi melts in uh, Raiders of Lost, Lost Ark. He helped bring that to life. He was very resp- he was very responsible for um, the creation of the Gremlins. Oh wow! It's, yeah, so it's it's really cool to see that like, you know he it, it just from that moment. You're right; these people were kind of great breaking grounds. Um, you know, Tom Savini's another one I know of, and there's, I think. I, I was about to kind of go down this um, big hole and, and just kind of like really educate myself on all these after watching these all these makeup artists and uh, you know visual effects artists from the time because and I think I want to at some point because I think I need to know some more. But Tom Savini, he's a legend. He did The Dawn of the Dead, Creep Show, Friday the Thirteenth, Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's it's a whole lot and just I think about you know just how amazing you know. Wes Craven, I mean, Friday, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, how amazing that looked. Well, talking about directors, uh, talking about directors specifically and sort of innovation and things, um, we talk about gremlins. You look at Joe Dante, who was from the Roger Corman era, you know, and and the low-budget films all the way. I think he probably started in the 70s, directed Piranha, and, you know, he came from the super, super low budget, like you've got three weeks to make the movie yep. or two weeks or something like that. And then I also think about, and this is something I, I thought was interesting, yep. and I think I read about it within the last couple of years, but Toby Hooper being the director of Poltergeist, but some people <laughs> thinking Spielberg actually directed it. I don't know if you've read into mm. that. Um, no, that's it's it, it was because he did write it. Spielberg wrote it, and I think he was all over the production credits. Yeah, it's I think people uh, assume that that's the case. Yeah, that he I guess apparently Spielberg thought maybe it was too dark for him, or he had ET had just come out or something like that, and he wanted mm-hmm. to direct it, but they used maybe they used Toby Hooper as a sort of placeholder. I'm not sure how much involvement Toby Hooper had. Maybe he had complete involvement, and in, and in, in I'm wrong, but. Um, it's just yeah. interesting to think about the director, directors of that time and and uh, how they are, are are coming from that low budget era and they're some of them like Toby Hooper you know they're they now have a bigger budgets bigger opportunity to try things and it's interesting to see what they came up with you know we want, one of them that I find very fascinating is John Landis 
I mean, John Landis is just, I mean, he's the man. He did Animal House, Trading Places, Three Amigos, Coming to America, Blues Brothers, Spies Like Us. I can go on and on and on. And in 81, he yeah, he crafted American Werewolves in London. Uh, um, just and it's a really a few cool years film. Later, it's a really cool film. And that it's one that's holding up. Uh, not You know, some of these, you kind of got to place yourself back there and kind of re-experience them and through, you know, the lens of, of, I do it through younger Mike and kind of remember what it was like, but it, it, it holds up in a really cool way. He also, he did a couple segments in Twilight Zone, the movie. So he was involved in that. I mean, I mean, John Carpenter, just think about him with the, he did the thing. Um, he did Christine in 83, but the thing was such a big deal. That was one that people are really looking back at as, as a true innovator. Like it, you know, in 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 effects i mean we you just made a nod to how some of it you know was so cutting edge that it you know was a little bit low grade or they were working things out i mean the thing looked great it was it was it was something that was really well done oh yeah the thing is beautiful um Mm -hmm. and uh you know john carpenter's and i mean when you mention some of these directors i'm like i'm remembering this and having to be reminded you know and now i'm realizing how many amazing directors were were doing great horror films in that era but john landis sticks out as one where it's just like he this you know it's just shocks you that he directed american werewolf in paris i mean he's uh that's just an odd one it's a cool movie too i really like the movie it is out of left field if you look at the rest of his resume that includes you know beverly hill cop beverly hills cop uh films and just all those other comedies I, I mentioned but it just shows that you know either people were cutting their teeth in um in the genre or stepping into it because they knew there was there were stories that could be told there that were creative and different and i mean just just the risk taking of the whole genre in storytelling and production is just absolutely game changing and i think it did so much for big budget films moving forward for just fantasy films moving forward for sci-fi films moving store forward one of the things i really loved personally was the origin stories of killers i i'm, I'm a big superheroes fan and i love you know the ones i think i find to be my favorite in that genre are just like how they came to be and i just the, the you know I, I think of how freddie or how jason or how michael and how any of these people came to be is just those are the ones that really get me and you, you find out that there's like either relatable horrors or just unthinkable horrors that they experienced to become the sick monster that they were or you know there's science mishaps that led to it or just a whole bunch of things that that led to the the creation of this this evil you know terrorizing creature and it's so cool well it's um i always i i I always forget that in Friday the 13th, it's not, you know, Jason doesn't come until part two, you know? So the whole Friday the 13th part one is just the origin story. But but they must have not, I I can't imagine that they were like, we're going to make two of these. I I have to imagine that they were trying to pull, pull off more of a psycho thing in the original where you're not imagining the, the mother or this woman being, you know, a killer. Um, but like, I, I, having watched that, I rewatched it for, you know, so we could talk more about it and having just watched it, 
there was things about it <clears throat> i realized that we didn't actually ever did we ever get introduced to that to uh mrs Voorhees until she shows up at the end no we had not that was the moment yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting thing i would have thought at some point she introduces herself to someone but she just sort of shows up out of nowhere so you really in the in the most jaws way you never get the you don't get the villain until literally 95% of the way through the film and that's not even the villain that will be the main villain for the franchise so that's that's a a huge origin that's really taking your time on origin story absolutely um just you mentioned psycho i psycho needs to come into this conversation in, in a pretty profound way i mean the like the easiest way to look back at slasher films is to look at 1978's halloween kind of that's where yeah. i think a lot of us think where it really really jumped off the the people who were crafting halloween they were they were pulling from psycho which can be looked at as kind of the real root of slasher fl- flicks i mean to the point where um they made some serious nods to psycho in halloween um Lieutenant Doyle in it was named from uh, a character in Rear Window. Uh, Doctor Loomis is actually from a name from from Psycho. They were they were putting nods in it the entire time because it was their inspiration. It's it is it's. I'm sure there's you know that was inspired by something and there's things I'm missing, but that was one of the films that truly inspired the entire slasher series. Well, I mean, Hitchcock they say calling the master of suspense, but really. You know, he was making slasher films in the silent era. You know, uh, he he yep. he he yeah, had true. a long history uh, of of making movies about murders and and you know when he did Psycho, he did it on a television budget because no one would pay for it. He used the uh, uh, he used his Alfred Hitchcock Presents crew, and and this was someone who just. Was really a master at something that you wouldn't necessarily think of him as the master of. It was so new to people, yeah. and you know I, that film really, because of its style and because of its intense cinema, like masterful cinema, like techniques, that that still really is like, you know, you put it in a, as like a Michael Jordan of horror films. You, there's going to be different ones. There's going to be better ones. <laughs> There's got, but you always got to go back and and give give recognition to that, to something that stood out as so powerful. It still scares me today. I, I you know, agreed. It's absolutely. It's 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 psychologically more than anything. It messes with me, over, like overthinking the whole thing. Um, yeah. Some people uh, at this point might even call it the LeBron of horror films. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm. I'm not. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not, are... I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching it more, more and more. Um, I want to. I think we. I want to take a moment, and I, it, I think it's an important moment. And just because I was perusing, and I'm sure you were, kind of all the the, the horror films out there, and just over- thinking about it a whole lot. And just we got to give a shout out to Stephen King. It's just like the uh, uh, for his source material, and just it's, it's. And I apologize just for. The, the listing I'm going to do here, but I, I, it's too important. I mean, I'll step outside of the 80s for one. It's, 
Carrie was, you know, in 1976, Brian De Palma brought that to life from a Stephen King book. Um, but once we get into the 80s, uh, The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick did that. I mean, like, you, and I agree with you. Maybe the scariest. It's just, the, it's so terrifying. Uh, Creep Show was in 1982. George uh, Romero did that. In 83, three of his works came to life in Cujo, Dead Zone, and Christine. Dead Zone... And Firestarter, that that was in 84. Those are two of my favorite Stephen King books, too. They're so good. In 84, there was Children of the Corn and, like I said, Firestarter. In 85, there's Cat's Eye and Silver Bullet. 86, Maximum Overdrive, which Stephen um, uh, directed himself. Creepshow 2 in 87 and Pet Cemetery in 89. I mean, that man created so much work. And I'm just talking about that decade. If you look at the... the adaptation list now um all the way through to 2020 it's absolutely insane and it's it's remarkable what he's done for the the art form for the 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 people who love some spooky scary stuff in general he's really done some amazing work yeah well you named i you named a number of my favorites obviously the shining tell me i love i love pet cemetery and i love christine i absolutely love christine i'm Obviously, somebody I, I love anything retro and vintage in this sort of '80s, like you know, synthesizer soundtrack, modern '80s synthesizer with like 1950s cars. I just love the look and the feel of that film. I love it. it you know, it's it's actually still sort of a scary movie, even though the car is sort of the 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 menacing presence, or it's really the owner. But the car is, you know, that vehicle for for death. But I, that one really stands out to me as uh, one of my favorite Stephen King uh, films. I it's hard to say The Shining because he doesn't like The Shining. You know, know. he doesn't like the adaptation. But I <laughs> yep. wish he did. Uh, but that's Stanley Kubrick. He's going to do something that no one ever saw coming, and it is what it is. But and then at Pet Cemetery, I absolutely love that one as well. There's just an essence to those films. A feel. Yeah. It's like a perfect October Saturday morning thing that you find on AMC, and you see Pet Cemetery on. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna leave this on and like do my laundry or or like clean the apartment. <laughs> it's just the perfect thing, perfect thing to have on, in the way you would have on, you know, a Christmas story or something during Christmas. It's a great Halloween uh, film, and and a lot of the films we're talking about right now are perfect Halloween films for just getting into the spirit of of like. This, this time of year I, I i mean a lot of what we're talking about with fright night in in the gate these are just films that you that you can just have on and really enjoy as like the, they're, they're just sort of they're just like they just fit the time you know agreed and it's something i think you just nailed kind of what it's all about they're they're scary and they have their really terrifying moments but they're fun and it's something yeah. it's it, you can enjoy as a family. I was actually my daughter likes scary stuff. She's nine, and I've been trying to figure out exactly how to approach her. She's been asking me. I don't know who taught her about like some of these stuff, but she's been asking me about The Shining uh, for years now, and 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 like you know Exorcist and stuff like this, and and, and Poltergeist. And until I rewatched Poltergeist, I kind of forgot. It terrified me. It really did. I have a lot of like memories of it, but when I watch it now, I'm like. I know I can 
I, I like I I watch Stranger Things with her. I think Stranger Things, and which is something that was so inspired by this era that needs to be said. Um, I think that it, if you were to watch that now and, and and both of them next to each other, obviously Stranger Things is scarier at times. I mean, I just think I got really excited when I did this deep dive that I can have these family moments. I can sit down with her. I'm, I, I can't wait to show her the gate. I can't wait to watch Poltergeist with her. And even I'm going to go deeper than that. I'm going to like a lot of these, the spirit of, of fun and, and, and being weird and different. And I just, that's so cool. And it's, it's really, it's just a good time. And they're really, really fun. I know they, 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 they're, it's, they changed a lot it, 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 for film um, you know, so many people it, it came out of that. The, the in, 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 you know, filmmakers and storytellers, they all came out of it, and they did huge, huge things. And you know, it just. But at, in that moment in the '80s, everyone was just having a good time with it. It was. I mean, I, I want to make this point: these films did good, and and some more than others, but they weren't really breaking box office numbers they were just it was it was i mean the top not like if you look at the top the highest grossing horror films of all time uh none of the top 50 are in the 80s i mean it's just it, it's uh, it's it's wild to look at that i'd actually like to bring it up it's kind of wild to look at what's going on it um it is 700 million that's the newest one six cents is number two um war of the world is number three uh, it's wild how see there's a bunch of if you uh, you have to include Godzilla. Godzilla has um, it has four nope three in the top twenty. The Mummy has four movies in the top twenty. It's wow, wild. I wouldn't but, have thought about that. <laughs> me neither. It blew my mind. Um, and there was two that I think you're going to be really um, pleased to see. I was too because most of it's kind of you know. Trending newer, um, you know, the Meg and Hannibal and the Nun; those are all in there. Uh, Prometheus is up there, which is great. But um, Jaws came out in 1975. That is number nine, and The Exorcist came out in 90, 1973, and that is number ten. And that is really cool. I mean, those those two were so impactful. Um, and I know we're talking eighties, but they were so impactful in the seventies that they. They just, they, that was a phenomenon. If you look at that money that they made and how well they did and how much that resonates still, that's incredible. That's absolutely I feel incredible. like if you take inflation, a lot of those 80s movies are right up there. I mean, nowadays, they can do so much to make money off of the box office with yeah. IMAX and 3D and, and really getting those premium ticket prices and such. I feel like those movies could, yep. if you went through number of tickets sold they'd hold their own because um, people love those films, you know? Yeah. No, and, 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 but I, I think my point was too that there was, uh, there was more to it. It was just like, it was like, it was just, it, the, their impact, there was more to it. And just, it just, you know, it, we all like to look back at the 80s and, you know, the, the, the music and the, what we were wearing and everything. And it's always going to come up in these pop culture or uh, just cultural uh, uh, deep dives into the 80s. The, the horror movies are always going to come up. They, they were such a, a, a defining thing that occurred in 1980s. And it meant a lot to me. It sounds like it meant a lot to you as well. Well, not only do I love the films, the horror films of the 80s, but the movies of the 80s are my favorite genre. 
Um, yeah. There's, there's definitely, you know, Jaws is definitely my favorite film in Star Wars, but the 80s brought so many great comedies, so many yep. amazing uh, films from Spielberg and, and Star Wars, but just there's just so many great films that I, I, I try to, you know, get people to watch over and over again. Arthur sticks out. Amadeus sticks out to me. Yep. And the horror films of <laughs> this Amadeus, era. Hell yeah. Yeah. The horror films of this era, they stand up to any other genre, no matter how different, how, what, no matter what the, 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 those fashion styles where, um, it really, it still stands up. Hell yeah. I could not agree more. So what me and Mitch are going to do, we're going to close it down right there. We're, that's our, uh, we want to speak very generally and give some real love to um, 80s horror films. We're going to come back at you with another episode where we're going to dig into a few choice ones. Um, probably the more impactful films in the 80s in another episode. So as of now, um, just, uh, it just we just want to give love to, uh, to 1980s horror films in general. And so we're going to come right back at you with another episode. So thank you for joining this party. Thank you.